We're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 today, and uh, I'm going to just preach to you what I, what I felt uh, in the Holy Ghost to preach to you. I can't tell you how much I love and appreciate you. Thank the Lord for this precious church. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. Somebody say, you ought to know about it. He said, I would not have you be ignorant. You need to know how that all our fathers were under the cloud. And they all passed through the sea. And they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they did all eat the same spiritual meat. And they did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Folks, there's so much revelation packed in that right there. But with many of them, or one translation even says that with most of them, God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown or scattered in the wilderness. He said, now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. He went on to tell them, he said, don't you be idolaters. He said, don't you, don't, don't you tempt Christ. He said all of this in verse 11, these things happened to them for our examples. Now, this is a different word than examples. I've heard people read this and say, this was put for our example. The word for example has already, has already been used. Verse 6, these were for our examples. This word in samples is different because it's like a mark that's left on hot iron. It's completely different than an example. He said this was meant to sear this in like a permanent and indelible mark. This was for our example. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinks he standeth take heed lest he should fall. I want us to pray together this morning. Lord, help us today. Let your word bring forth good fruit. You know every man, every woman, and every child that's gathered under the sound of my voice today. You know every individual that will watch this online today, that will hear the echoes of this meeting at a later time. And today, God, we've placed it in your care. Your word has come forth to my heart. And I ask today with great clarity it would come forth to your people. Let us hear your voice. Let us hear it clearly today. Let the soil of our hearts be prepared for the good seed of the Word of God. In Jesus' mighty name, let the church say amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to preach to you today from this simple thought. After you come out. After you come out. First uh, Corinthians 10 is such a powerful story. In the New Testament because it's making reference to what God did with his people in the Old Testament. Now the difference in God's people in the Old Testament and God's people in the New Testament is that the people in the Old Testament were looking for that which was to come. And the people in the New Testament now in the uh, church at Corinth they were to walk in that which had come. So you've got a people who are looking in the direction of what was coming. And then you've got people that are grateful for that which has already come. But I, I want to make this statement to you and I want it to be crystal clear. These are not two different groups of God's people. God's people are his people, period. Now in the Old Testament, they had not been baptized in Jesus' name because the name had not been given under heaven and among men 
whereby we must be saved yet. They had not received the baptism of the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost had not yet been poured out. Now this is not just dispensationalism. This is the timing of God. But we do see a very interesting thing in Scripture that we know as uh, theologians as types and shadows. We understand that you cannot unhitch or unhook the testaments from one another and the Scripture as a whole makes sense. You've got to be able to pick up the Word of God and buy in that the God of the beginning of Genesis 1 and 1 that created in the heavens and the earth is the same God that John wrote about that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. There was only one beginning and there was only one God and there was one Creator and He did all of it by Himself. So there's only one beginning, there's only one Scripture. There are not truths in the Bible and I can't preach this enough there are not truths in the Bible that are truths for one group of people but not for another. And you get to pick what part of truth you like and that becomes your truth. I want to tell you how this is, okay? You either take it all or you don't believe any of it. I know that religion has become, has become like super buffets. You know, you can just kind of pick out the part that you like and... You leave the part that you don't like. But brother, I want to tell you what I believe today. I believe there is a reason why in the Old Testament, before they could ever walk into their promise, they had to walk out of slavery. This is a beautiful type and shadow of what repentance is all about. The Lord wanted his people to know you will never inherit the promise while you're living in the land of Egypt. If you're going to inherit the promises of God, you're going to have to come out of Egypt. You're going to have to come out from their system. You're going to have to come out from their beliefs. I created you for more than being a slave to the bondage of Egypt. If you're going to have promise, then you've got to come out with power. And so, to the most fi uh, uh, finite of, of details, of the most fine tooth of comb, going through the scripture, God is very detail-oriented in how he presents this to his children. The Lord is laying a foundation for that which was to come because this group of people were looking for that which was to come. And so he establishes it in a very unique way. He tells Moses, he said, I want you to tell my people that they are to get a lamb and they are to bring it into their house on the 10th of Nisan and they are to guard that lamb for four days. Now listen, this is setting precedent for all of humanity. I know you look at it and you're like, well, it's just a boring Old Testament story. No, God was setting precedent for what would happen for the rest of history and events that would turn the pages of history and leave, leave that in sample, that mark on history forever. He said, on the 10th of Nisan, I want you to bring in a lamb unto your house and be sure that that lamb does not have a spot. Be sure that the lamb is clean. And he said, you're going to watch that lamb for four days. And on the fourth day, which would be the 14th of Nisan, the Passover, he said, you are to slay that lamb and every home is to slay a lamb. How many of you know your neighbor couldn't slay the lamb for you? He said, this is going to have to be a personal experience for you. you it, it doesn't matter. Listen, I'm going to preach to you right here. I'm, going to, I'm just going to put this in right here. It doesn't matter what the people up the street are doing. If your family's going to make it, it's going to be because you decide to obey the word. It doesn't matter if everybody else in Egypt decides they don't believe that it's righteousness. If your family's going to make it, then your family's got to buy in. Well, pastor, I've got friends that don't think it's necessary to live the way that we live. Hey, Joshua brought us to that moment before the Passover as they were going into the land of promise. He said, you choose this day whom you're going to serve. But as for me, somebody shout it with me. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. 
I want somebody to know what I'm telling you today. If your house is going to make it, it's going to be because your house buys in. Got to. So he said, you slay the lamb and you eat the lamb in the house. He said, but I'm I'm not just finished with this once they partake of the lamb. He said, I want their home on the doorpost and the lintel. I want it covered in the blood. This is some of my favorite preaching in the world. There is nothing to me that, that is as powerful in the Old Testament leaning towards Calvary and salvific language than what happens at the Passover. It is absolutely breathtaking when you start comparing all of this and bringing it together. But this is such a personal revelation that every family in Egypt had to get this. If you're going to leave with us, then you're going to have to participate for yourself. And, 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 and you, can't, you can't go put blood on somebody else's door and expect that to work. You know, this is, this is the hard part about raising a family. When your kids get old enough to move out and get their own house. You can't go put blood on your own kid's house and that work. you got to put something in them that causes them to believe that when they raise their own family, they're going to have to apply the blood for themselves. Look, look, you, you've got to trust. You've got to trust that the word of God is right. And I'm telling you today, we should never apologize for teaching our children the value of a personal revelation of what God has to do in their own life. They're at an age and a stage in life where they've got peer pressure and they've got influence coming from everywhere. They've got influencers, quote unquote, that are speaking into their world and they are exposed to all kinds of Don't you ever apologize to your children for telling them that our home is going to be covered in the blood and we are going to be full of the lamb. If nobody else does it, our family's going to. And so we look forward in the scripture and I'm going to do my best here to get where I'm going in a hurry. I don't want to make you snore in Greek and dream in Hebrew, but... This is, this is so powerful because we see on the 10th of Nisan that you're to bring the lamb into your house. On the 14th, you're to slay that lamb. God does everything with purpose and intent. And so when you look at, at the life of Jesus, the life that he lived, and everything that he did with such purpose and exactness. I know that's not great English, but it's, a, it's something that I want to get in your spirit. He did everything with exactness. He did everything to perfection. There was no fault in him. And everything that he did lined up with the perfection of his word. If, if you can't buy into the fact that this word is infallible, then you are never, ever, ever going to come to the fullness of the knowledge of who God is. Listen, there's some folks out there dancing around saying the word's got holes in it, that the word has infallibility. There's some things in it that really aren't complete. No, no, no. If you can't buy into the fact that this word is flawless, it is perfect, Well, I just think there's some other things that should have been included in the canon. Can I tell you what I believe is your pastor? I believe God put everything in the canon of the scripture that God wanted in the canon of the scripture. And it is perfect. Well, what if there's something else he wants us to know? If you've got to walk outside the pages of the scripture to fulfill your doctrine, it is no longer Bible doctrine. I was in a situation in our family several years ago where some people were going outside of the scripture to prove their points scripturally, which makes zero sense. They were trying to find a historical record that was contrary and if, 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 to the scripture. And if we've learned anything, honestly, there's a lot of parts about history that are really not necessarily history. They're somebody's view of history. Am I making any sense? I, I, don't, I don't want to confuse you right here. But it's amazing, when, especially, especially when it comes to sacred things and ancient things. It is amazing how people who love Constantine so much 
can skew the, 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 the perspective of what they say is Bible theology. It's not Bible theology at all. It's a slanted view of history. And, and they can look at what was known in history as the Reformation. And I want to tell you that the, the problem with the Reformation as a whole is that it would have never had to be reformed if they would have left it alone. God's church does not need to be reformed. God's church just needs to obey what's written. And if you've, got to, if you've got to create some kind of a creed, you've got to write up some kind of a manual. I was in a discussion some time ago with an organizational leader uh, in Pentecost, and we were discussing some things that, in my opinion, had started to err in the direction of false doctrine. And, uh, and, and so we were talking about it, and, and he said, well, you know, our, our Constitution says, and I said, forgive me for, for being abrupt. You know, I wasn't trying to be rude at all. I said, but listen, if the first place we're going to go when we're dealing with doctrine is to the Constitution of an organization, then that has become our creed, and we are no different than any other creedal movement. I will stand on the infallibility of the Word of God. If everything else falls around us, the Word of God is sure to stand forever so so you can look at this historically and you can get some things kind of confused and mixed up but let's look at it biblically like from a a biblically historical record and on the the 10th of Nisan the day of the lamb that was literally the day on the Hebrew calendar that Jesus Christ comes riding into Jerusalem on the donkey was on the 10th of Nisan. God does everything with exactness. He was slain on the 14th of Nisan. Why do we care anything about the Hebrew calendar, Pastor? Why do we care anything about the Old Testament? Because Jesus taught the Old Testament, he preached the Old Testament, he lived the Old Testament, and he showed us the value of what he did. Jesus came riding in as the lamb that was going to be slain, but he had already been slain from the foundation of the world. And all of these plans that were being made to show you and I, there is no fallibility in the word. The reason why the lamb was to be brought in on the 10th of Nisan when they left Egypt is because on the 10th of Nisan, the lamb of God would ride into Jerusalem on the day of the lamb and his life would be given on the 14th the same day that they would partake of the lamb and so what I'm saying to you is that if it was important for the children of Israel to have the blood of a lamb applied to the doorposts in the little of their house and if it was important for the children of Israel to be full of a lamb then it's important for you and I to have the blood of the lamb applied to our home and it's important for you and I to be filled with the spirit And so, so, so the value of this is so powerful that if you don't buy in, you don't walk out. I wish somebody would say amen or owe me. I'd even, I'd even take a good old Presbyterian nod right now. If you don't buy in, you don't walk out. I disagree with it, Pastor. I don't think... I don't, I don't think it's necessary. I don't think we should have to do that. Well, stay in Egypt. Is that, is that too abrupt? I don't, I don't think that's necessary. Well, you can stay here. Can I tell you where your pastor's heart is today? I've got no intention of staying here. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up. Somewhere beyond the blue. I'm going to do everything I can while I'm here. I'm going to make every impact that I can make. But this world is not my home. Not staying here. And so they, they, they apply the blood to the doorpost. They apply the blood to the lintel. And again, time does not permit the fullness of, of how much power and doctrine is packed into here, but it was important that every home had a lamb. It was important that every home was covered in the blood. 
It was important that every home was full of that lamb. And this was the prerequisite for being a part of the number that was going to leave. That was going to be part of the exodus. That's the name of the book. So God is preparing them in the exodus. This is the coming out. This is them leaving. And so as they leave Egypt, the Bible said that within just the first few hours of them being gone, that the enemy, that Egypt, who had Pharaoh had told them to leave, God had hardened his heart, God had softened his heart, God had hardened his heart, God had softened his heart. And finally he just said, look, you guys get out of here and leave. But something happened in him just a few miles into this journey after he let them go. Anybody in here ever had buyer's remorse? Yeah, I'm sure you have. Conviction just gripped the room, didn't it? Pharaoh had a sense of buyer's remorse because he had released him and let him go. But he got sitting there on that throne, got to thinking. But you know, what's, what's so frustrating is that I did let him go. But if, I, if, I, if I've let him go, then I'm losing my power over them. I'll come to preach on Sunday morning. The enemy that hated them and had to release them and let them go realized when they walk out of here, I have lost my grip on them. And so everything that I do from this point on, if I don't get them back into my grip, everything else is just a threat. They are not under my control. They are not under my supervision. They have walked out of here and I don't own them anymore. Do you want to know why it is when you give your life to the Lord that the enemy pulls all stops out? He does everything he can to confuse you. He does everything he can to intimidate you because he realized when you walk out, he has lost his grip on your life. Can I tell you that the devil is a liar and the truth is not in him? You do your best to live for God and let the devil keep on lying because he doesn't own you anymore. You are not, you are not his possession any longer. When you walk out, he does not own you. So you know what he's going to do? He's going to send the right people at the right time or the wrong people at the wrong time, however you want to look at it. He knows how to send just the right people at just the right time to have just the right conversation with you. Isn't it amazing that after 400 plus years in Egypt, after they had had their backs beat, after they had been beat senseless, literally people died at the hands of Pharaoh. And the only thing they could remember when they got in the wilderness was how good the food was when they were there. They said, let's go back to the leeks and the garlic. Let's go back to the way that it used to be. Can I tell you that your memory does not always serve you correctly? When you look back on where God's brought you from, there's always a more beautiful picture that's painted in your mind. And I want to tell you who the artist of that tapestry is. It is the enemy of your soul. And he will always paint a more beautiful picture of where God's brought you from than the way it really was when you were there. But I want to remind you what your Bible said. That sin is a hard taskmaster. And the way of the transgressor is hard. Can I preach to you today? Day that if the Lord has brought you out, you gotta stay out. If God has brought you out and redeemed you, you've gotta stay redeemed. You'll go from thanking God to bringing you out. You'll go from talking language of thank God I'm free to talking language like, well, it really wasn't that bad. I wasn't really that addicted. If I got over it once, I can get over it again. And you'll start walking back the same path. But I've come to preach to somebody this morning. He that the Son has set free is free indeed. I wish somebody would believe what I'm preaching to you this morning. When God does a work in your life, there is nothing the devil can do about it. The devil cannot reverse it. The devil cannot change it. Yes. And so this intimidating voice said, I'm not really sure I like them being free. So I'm going to go after them again. I don't like them being free because I can't control them. So I'm going to pursue them again. And the Bible said that as the enemy started to pursue them, 
they felt like when they walked out that there was going to be no trouble because God was with them. Now I'm fixing to preach something that's going to make a bunch of you feel uncomfortable right now. But God being with me does not mean that trouble is no longer with me. He is a mighty deliverer. But sometimes he's a sustainer. Pastor, you, you, you need to get back to the Bible because the Bible said that, that if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed and you say this mountain be removed, then the mountain's moved. You think Abraham ever looked at his mountain and said, please move? Well, you can believe it however you want to. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus Christ, Abraham's seed, shows us type and shadow the same way that Abraham, I don't believe Abraham wanted to walk his mountain with Isaac. And I know Jesus didn't want to walk his mountain with a cross because when he looked into the cup, he said, Lord, if there's any way that you can let this cup pass, God, I feel his spirit here right now. Somebody's in the wrestling match of your life in this place and the devil's convinced you because you're facing trouble that means God has abandoned you no 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 you know that you're in the right place when you can start praying prayers like this Lord let it pass if you would but even if it does not pass I'm not going anywhere I'm going to do your will God help me preach this this morning you know you're in the will of God you know you're in the right place when you can pray prayers that say God I believe you can move this mountain but if if you don't move the mountain, we're going to climb this together and you're going to lead me through this. I'm going to tell you today, there's people in this church that I believe in the power of your prayer. And I've heard you pray prayers that were big enough prayers to move mountains. I've heard you pray them. But your mountain didn't move. That wasn't because your prayer was powerless. It's because God was forming your character and teaching, oh God, and teaching you some things that you would have never learned if that mountain would have moved. Sometimes God has to let you walk up the front side of a mountain with the promise that's in your hand in order for him to send provision up the back side of the mountain. I've come to preach to you today. You are not forsaken because the mountain did not move. God is about to show up and show you what he had prepared for you. Don't give up now. Don't turn around now. If Abraham gives up walking up the front side of the mountain, there is a sacrifice that will be wasted, caught in the thicket of the mountain. I wonder today, and I'm not saying this at all to bring any kind of judgment or feel, feeling of criticism, but I wonder how many folks have had miracles die on you that God had hung up on purpose but we never arrived to the place that the ram was hung up in the thicket therefore we missed the provision of God because we'd rather hold on to what we've got than to release it to God and let him be a provider and a miracle worker for us I'm telling you there's somebody in this room that God has sent me to preach to you today you will never know the value of great until you're willing to release the good until you're willing to release what you know God will never let you walk in to what you don't know we walk by faith we walk by faith and so when the children of Israel come out the Bible said the enemy starts pushing them behind I gotta hurry but as the enemy is pressing them they come to the Red Sea they got to the Red Sea they realized we thought this was going to be a whole lot easier than it is right now because we got pressure behind us and there's no way in front of us I know this is probably going to be disappointing to some people but I'm going to tell you a fact there's some testimonies in here that can testify the exact point that I'm making to you right now sometimes you will never really know the nature of God until you've been in a place where he's the only option you got. Yes, 
Come on, don't, don't, don't let me lose you right here now. When you find he's all you have, you're going to find out he's all you need. God, there's no other way for me to get through this than hold on. There's no other way for me to walk out of this than hold on. When you find he's all you have, you're going to find out he's all you need. So where do we go? Where do we find answers? How do we do this? And so Moses has walked out of Egypt with a rod in his hand. There was power in that rod. He'd thrown it down. And that rod turned into a snake. Picked it back up. I promise you one thing. That's one difference in me and Moses. If I throw down a rod that turns to a snake... I ain't picking it back up. There's three kinds of snakes I don't like. Live snakes, dead snakes, and sticks that look like snakes. I, I ain't no snake handler. It ain't the will of God. I don't need no snake biting me on the forehead to tell me I found the will of God. Come on, somebody. Well, you don't take up serpents and drink any deadly thing. I'm going to tell you, I'm not dumb enough to test God like that. You know what that scripture was there for? It's so amazing. That scripture was there. And the apostle Paul lived it out before us. When he, when he got to Melita, the Bible said the serpent came out. Saul wasn't reaching down in there to handle that sucker. He was doing the will of God and a serpent came to interrupt. What that means is when you're doing the will of God and a serpent comes to interrupt what you're doing. You can take up that serpent and let it do whatever it wants to do. It has no dominion in your life. The Bible said that Paul shook that snake off and it went back into the fire. You know what some of you need to do this morning? The enemy has tried to latch on to you. But you need to shake him off and say, you won't slow me down. You won't stop me. I'm going to finish the will of God in my life. I'm not quitting. I'm not going to quit. So he takes this, this, this rod that's in his hand. The Lord said, take the rod, therefore, that's in thy hand and stretch it out. And when Moses stretched himself, man, I wish I could preach this, but I don't have the time. He said, stretch forth. Somebody say, stretch forth. Sometimes your miracle may not be right in front of you. Sometimes you got to. Come on, somebody. Sometimes you got to. That makes me uncomfortable. I, I, I'm not sure I like that. What if I fall? What if God moves? What if I fall in? But what if you walk out? I'm stretching by faith. I've never been this stretch before. Yeah, but watch what I'm about to do when you stretch. And the Bible said that a strong wind from the east blew. And that thing which was in front of them, God moved it to the side and parted the waters. And they walked across. And can I tell you this? I'm going to fast forward through this right here. But can I tell you this? God parted the waters. And the enemy thought the water was parted for them. But the Bible said when God's people got across that Red Sea, that Pharaoh, his army, the horse, and the rider... We're buried in that water. Can I tell you that when you obey God and you stretch by faith, God is going to bury some things that have been pushing you. And so here's the value of where we're at. And I'm, 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 I'm hurrying quickly. So they pass through the water. They get to the other side. Now I have time to preach all of it. They get to the other side, and there they are greeted by this cloud, this beautiful cloud is a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The Bible said that it kept them, but understand this, the language to the, Hebrew, uh, to the uh, Corinthians is so valuable because it said that them being obedient and staying underneath that cloud was a form of spirit baptism. To be baptized according to the scripture, the, the roots in the Hebrew and the Greek language both mean to be fully immersed in. So in order to be led by God through the wilderness, 
They had to be completely immersed in the culture of that cloud. That whatever the cloud was doing or wherever the cloud was going, that's where they had to go. And oftentimes when we pray prayers, I'm just going to be really real with you right here. But when we pray prayers, Liam, will you come help me real quick? I know you're not used to this, but you're going to be God for just a second. We, we get a hold of God in prayer. And we say, Lord, 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 lead me. God, lead me where you want to go. God, take me where you want to take me. God, would you, would you please take me? Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. So, Lord, would you lead me? Would you order my steps? Thank you, sir. Your prayers were not created to lead God. Your prayers were created to find the mind of God and to get under that cloud and stay under the direction of the cloud. I don't need to tell God where I need to go. I need God telling me where I need to go. So powerful. And so in in 100% fast forward mode right now, I'm going to walk you through this. We've got the blood being applied. We've got, we've got death of the lamb. Doorpost, lentil. Lamb in the house. Lamb in the body. Blood on the doorpost. Y'all with me? They walk out of Egypt. What is this? It's repentance. Okay? Acts 2.38 is not a new idea. They walk out of Egypt. In other words, they're no longer facing it. They're leaving it. Repentance. Somebody say Repentance. Your Bible said that all of them had to pass through the water and called it a baptism. What was it? It was a type and shadow of repentance and baptism by water. They come up on the other side and they're baptized underneath the cloud. What is that? It's the supernatural. It's the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ comes, lives, dies, buried, resurrected. What is it? Leaving Egypt, repentance. Pass through the water, baptism. Get under the cloud, infilling of the Holy Ghost. Death, repentance. Burial, baptism. Resurrection, infilling of the Holy Ghost. It is the plan of God. It's how we die and it's how we're born again. Are you with me? So follow along with me if you would. The Bible said that after they came out, Every single one of them had walked out of Egypt, passed through the water, got under the clouds. Everybody here agree with that? Because he told the church at Corinth, he said, all of our fathers have all passed. It was necessary for all of them. But when they got out of Egypt into the wilderness, verse 5 said, but with most of them, God was not well pleased. They were overthrown in the wilderness. I'm going to tell you something. It's going to get really tight right here. But there's going to be a lot of people who have repented of their sins, been baptized in Jesus' name, and been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost that may have been rapture ready when that happened. But because of the life that you refuse to live after you've come out, God is not well pleased. I'm preaching to you this morning that unless you're willing to take the scripture out of context, that no man can pluck you out of the hand of God, then you have to understand there is no such thing biblically and contextually and hermeneutically sound that ever alludes to an idea that once you are saved, you are always saved. I've come to preach to you this morning that once you have walked out and passed through the water and got under the cloud, you can still be overthrown. The Bible said that they had all passed through and had all come out. But most of them, God was not happy with. He was not pleased with. You know what's sad to me about that is that All of them passed through, and the majority of them displeased God. Ooh, I'm preaching real in here right now. 
Y'all can be seated. I know, I, I know you got to be careful that you, don't, that you don't just like grab an idea and run with it. But I'm going to just draw some pictures for you as I hurry today about some things that I, that I see in the scripture that are they're not necessarily explicit, but they're, they're very implicit to the idea of what we're going to see. Jesus is talking about the end time and getting ready for that great and terrible day. And he said that on that day that there would be two grinding at the mill. Are you all with me? I'm not going to walk out of the word right here. He said there's going to be two grinding at the mill. Now, y'all don't even need me to preach this. You got it. But your Bible says that one of them is going to be taken. And the other is going to be left. Okay, that's a worker in the He said, then there's going to be two laying in the bed. One of them taken. And the other one left. Now, I'm not real good at math. But if you just hang out there into like one, twos, and threes, I do pretty good, Sister Gray. I, I'm not real smart, but I can, I can do that. I can do multiplication by twos and threes. When you got two people laying there in the bed, two people at the mill, one of them makes it, one of them don't. That's 50% of the people that were trying. And 50% of them that weren't. They all look the same. They're both grinding at the mill. They're both resting. Why does he use this language? Because they were all doing the same thing. You need some more Bible language? Ten virgins. This isn't me. This is Jesus. Come on, there was five of them that were wise. Well, I just, I just, I'm telling you, I just can't see how God could take somebody that has pure heart and, and just leave them behind. Well, I'll tell you how it happens. You come, you come waiting on the, on the bridegroom with a spirit of arrogance and say, I got enough oil to make it on my own. That's how, that's how you get left behind. He said there were five of them that were wise and five of them that were foolish. And the only, listen, their, their virginity was not in question. Their purity was not in question. Their sustainability was. How long can you make it through the dark night? Well, I think Jesus is going to come tomorrow. Well, I hope he does. But what if he don't come for 10 more years? Can you make it? Well, we got, we got through COVID, so we're, we're going to make it. Let me ask you all something. How many of you really feel like if we would have had with no options, which that's kind of debatable, if we would have with no options had to live the way that we lived for about two months for the rest of our lives, how many of you could have made it? Don't raise your hand. Don't come to church. Sit at home, watch it on, 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 on your phone or on your TV or whatever you're watching it on. I'm going to tell you, I can't, I can't make it. I, I can't make it work in my mind. I, I can't make it work in my mind that, that, that there were some people, Brother Small, that were willing to say this is going to be the new normal for the church. I, 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 I can't believe there's still some people three and a half years later that are still sitting at home and saying, ah. If I go, I go. If I don't, I don't. No, God, is, I mean, whatever. Listen, I'm going to tell you. We have not seen but yet the beginning of what we're going to see if the Lord withholds his coming for very long. And I want to tell you that you had better have your oil in your lamp and your lamp had better be trimmed and your lamp had better be burning the difference between the foolish and the wise is that the wise made it through the long dark night and the foolish ran out of oil before daylight broke I don't know when daylight's coming but I know this I want to be sure I've got enough to make it through however long the night may be I'm closing. If music wants to come, I finished with my introduction, so let me preach my sermon. He said these things 
were our examples to the intention that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Let me walk you quickly through this. These people came out of Egypt, passed through the water, got under the cloud, ate heavenly manna every day of their lives until they griped and God sent quail. And the Bible said that while they were still picking quail out of their teeth, God blessed them, kept them, put his hand on them, brought them out, led them, fed them, gave them a drink. They didn't even know they were drinking from the rock Christ Jesus. What, what a powerful revelation. He said, but they lusted after evil things. They became idolaters. They committed fornication. There fell in one day 23,000. Verse 8. Look, every one of them, by our biblical standard, if I could bring the Old Testament to the New Testament, every one of them got saved. But in one day, 23,000 of them died because they couldn't stay saved. Our fight in the end time is not going to be just getting saved. There's going to be a lot of people, the crazier this world gets, that's going to warm up to the hope of having a relationship with God. There's going to be a lot of people that's going to say, forget tradition. I'm, I'm going to come, get baptized in Jesus' name, and get filled with the Holy Ghost. But there is more to this than just getting saved. you got to figure out how to stay saved. And the Word of God said... In verse 12, and this is it. I'm telling you, this is it. This is one of the most powerful little scriptures tucked away. It's a treasure of truth. Wherefore, let him that thinks he's standing take heed, lift up his ear, hear the preacher, lest he should fall. Church family, listen to your pastor today when I tell you somebody's going to fall right before the rapture. Somebody's going to fall right before the Lord comes back. And while the enemy would love for us to focus on the people that are going to fall, I want to tell the devil, somebody's going to keep standing. There's going to be people that are going to fall away. But devil, you need to know something else. There's going to be somebody that's going to keep standing. There's going to be somebody that walks out of Egypt and passes through the water and gets under the cloud, and we're going to stay with it. We're going to walk. We're not going to leave this thing. We're going to fall in love with it. Verse 13, for there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Oh, I wish somebody would preach this with me right now. But God is faithful. His faithfulness is not in question. Mine is. God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you're able. But will with the temptation. Make a way to escape it. Notice these words, that you may be able to bear it. You can carry this. After you've come out, his faithfulness has put enough grace on you that you can make it. Paul said, I asked him three times to remove the thorn. His only response was, my grace is sufficient. I don't know what your thorn is today, but I've come to preach to somebody in this house. You can make it. I come to preach to somebody here today. If you'll hold on, you can make it. If you'll just hang in there, baby, you're going to make it. If you'll just hang in there, my brother, you're going to make it. Don't sell yourself short. Don't fall short. When the temptation gets heavy, say, God, you made a way for me to escape this, and I can bear it. I'm not going to fall prey to the gods of this world. I'm not going to fall prey to the darkness of this world. You told me I could make it, and I'm going to make it. Verse 
All of them passed through the water and got under the cloud, but not all of them possessed the promise. I thank God for the thousands upon thousands that received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Right now we're seeing revival in, in Uganda and several places that's like unprecedented. Thousands of people getting the Holy Ghost. But I wonder today how many thousands will make up in their mind, I didn't just get it, I'm going to keep it. If you've made up in your mind today, forgive me if this sounds crude, but I've just come to preach to you. But if you've made up in your mind today that come hell or high water, you're going to do whatever you have to do to stay saved and live for God. I want you to just lift your hearts and your hands towards heaven right now and say, God, I'm committing to you once again today. I'm going to make it. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, I want to tell you there's never been a better time to walk out of Egypt then right here, right now in the house of the Lord. You can come out of this thing and make it, but when you come out, you can make it. After you've come out, you're going to make it. I believe that he that endures to the end is going to make it. And I'm with a group of people that's going to endure. The scripture tells us that in Revelation, that John the Beloved looked into this heavenly vision and he said I saw thousands upon thousands that overcame the accuser of the brethren you know what John saw somebody made it John saw a vision of some people from the first Pentecostal church 630 West 53rd Street on a Sunday morning that said yes I've been going through the fight of my life Yes, I've been struggling, and yes, I've been weak. But there is no temptation that's going to overcome me, but what God is going to provide for me, a way to get out of this thing. And I plan on making it. I wish I could talk to John. I wish I could talk to him today because I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe John saw me and I believe John saw you. I believe John saw some of your faces because somebody in this room is going to make it. Hallelujah. Whatever you have to do to me, Lord, don't let me be lost for eternity. Come on, let's slip our hands up and sing it. 